Okay, so we're going to resume again for liabilities of uh, parties and we will start with section 62 warranties of the acceptor. The acceptor by signing the bill as much as such warrants the exist- existence of the pay and his then capacity to endorse. So what does that mean? The acceptor by signing the bill, no, so if you are the acceptor, the acceptor and you sign the bill uh, as such warrants you actually warrant the existence of the pay and his then capacity to endorse. So, um, the payee is now capacitated to endorse. In addition, he also admits of the existence of the drawer. So you also admit of the existence of the drawer who actually crafted the, the instrument. The genuineness of his signature and his capacity and authority to draw the bill. So that includes his signature and his authority. Now, signature and then authority. So what are the defenses precluded? The acceptor is consequently precluded from asserting as a defense that the drawer is fictitious or non-existent or that the drawer's signature is a forgery or that he has no funds in his hands belonging to the drawer with which to pay the bill or that the drawer has overdrawn his account. No, so these are the defenses that are not allowed. No, the acceptor is consequently precluded from asserting as a defense that number one, no, that the drawer is fictitious or non-existent, no, or the drawer signature is a forgery or not allowed to do that, or that he has funds in his hands or belonging to the drawer with which to pay the bill, or that the drawer has overdrawn his account. For instance, there is uh, only a few amount of money there, so the drawer could not. Uh, you cannot say that he actually has less no money there, or the drawer has no capacity to contract or has no authority to draw the bill. By accepting unconditionally a bill, a drawee becomes liable to a holder, and he cannot allege want or failure of consideration between him and the f- and the drawer. So, the holder is a stranger as regards to the transaction between the drawer and the drawee. Okay, so remember that. So, he has to be given that right to be able to be at peace, no? to know that it is something that you cannot question. So, matters not admitted. The acceptor does not admit the genuineness of the endorser's signature. Okay, so the acceptor does not admit the genu- genuineness of the endorser's signature because it is only the signature of the drawer that he warrants although the purported endorsement was on the bill at the time it was accepted. An acceptor is only held to a knowledge of the signature of the drawer by accepting a bill. He only admits the genuineness of such signature and cannot be charged with knowledge of the want of genuineness of other part of the instrument or of the title of the holder. Okay, so once again, we're in part 2 of negotiable instrument for liabilities of parties. We will now proceed to payment with acceptance. What is payment? Uh, without acceptance again take note it is payment without acceptance you you pay without even accepting for purposes of the rule payment by the drawee may not be considered as equivalent of acceptance there is a distinction between payment and acceptance no so you have to distinguish the two of them payment is not the same okay with acceptance the latter is a promise to perform an act okay so acceptance is actually a promise. Acceptance is a promise to perform an act. Okay? Whereas the former is the actual performance thereof. Okay? 
So, in the words of the law, the acceptance of the bill is the signification of the drawing of his assent to order of the drawer. It's like you say, okay, you are allowed to order. But acceptance is not required for checks, no, for the same are payable on demand. Okay, but take note, but acceptance is not required for checks. For the same are payable on demand. The truth is that payment of the amount of bill of a bill check by the drawee implies not only acceptance but also compliance with the drawee's obligation. So it's already implied. Indeed, payment amounts to more than, ex- than an acceptance for the second is an obligation to pay. The first, a discharge of the indebtedness. No, The first implies not only the drawee's assent to the order of the drawer but also an admission of his corresponding obligation to pay the instrument and his clear compliance with that obligation. The rule holding that such payment has all the efficacy of acceptance is found upon the principle that the greater in, that the greater include the less. No? So what is the rule here? The rule holding that such payment has all the efficacy of an acceptance is founded in the principle of what is the principle? That the greater includes the less. No? So you have the greater there. So automatically you know that there was acceptance. No? Which is now the the greater act, the payment itself is uh, an implication that there was already acceptance. The payment of the check includes its acceptance. It has been held that the acceptance of the drawing may be implied. No? So it's already implied. Uh, illustrative case. No? A drawing bank requested the industry who was asking payment of a check to furnish it with a photostatic copies thereof and present the check for certification. So facts are, yeah, in province of Samar issued a check to P. A postmaster of Burungan Samar for the sum of 25,000 pesos drawn against Cebu branch of W. No, so the, the drawing here is W. So P negotiated the check to A. So P here uh, negotiated the check to A, who represented the check to the municipal treasurer. So A presented it to the municipal tra- treasurer of Burungan for payment, but the latter did not choose to pay the same. The letters of A to the Bureau of Post seeking payment were referred to the to its director to W, so which is the bank. The drawee which requested the Bureau to post and furnish it with photostatic copies of the check with copies duly received, and A to present the check to the provincial treasurer and provincial auditor of R for certification in accordance with the circular issued by the Secretary of Finance. Before the check could be certified as being in order, R withdrew its deposit with W, thereby leaving a small balance insufficient to cover the amount of the check. Hala! So what will happen? No, uh, There will be not enough money. So A transferred his rights to B. So A, uh, so A transferred his rights to B, who was unable to cash it. Okay, Was there an implied acceptance by W? Okay, the answer is yes. In requesting the photostatic copies of the check in question, requiring A to present and check for a certification, W voluntarily assumed the obligation of holding so much of the deposit so that it would be sufficient to cover the amount of the check. Or before allowing the withdrawal that exhausted said deposit or making the necessary inquiry on the matter, an implied acceptance of the check by W was thereby created. The request of the Bureau of Post and the requirement imposed by A and W would be an empty gesture if W did not thereby mean to assume the obligation of paying the check and holding sufficient deposit for R for that purpose. However, such obligation is merely subsidiary, R being primarily liable no? So, to pay the same. No, uh, 
No, under the facts of the case, no obligation was created on the part of W to pay the amount of the check to hold W liable. The original check must have been presented to W for payment. W would have refused to honor or cash it. The subsequent withdrawal of R of its deposit no, could not be prevented by W if it had refused. It might be held responsible for the damages for refusing to allow the withdrawal. The only party liable for the payment of check is R. No, W should be held free from any liability primarily or subsidiarily. So this is according to Justice Espadilla, which is a dissenting opinion in this case. But here, uh, the answer in general is yes. No, So that could be subjected to possible uh, a debate or a change of a decision in the Supreme Court because there was a dissenting opinion. Okay, let's proceed to now to section 63. When a person deem endorser, a person placing his signature upon an instrument. Okay, so what are we talking about here? We are talking about... When a person deemed endorser, when do you consider an endorser? Uh, when do you consider a person an endorser? A person placing his signature upon an instrument, otherwise than as a maker or a drawer or acceptor, is then deemed to be endorser, unless he clearly indicates by appropriate words his intention to be bound in some other capacity. So, as we can all see here, there these are only the parties of a possible negotiable instrument. So, if you are not named, then you are deemed an endorser. So, if you're not the maker, if you're not the drawer, you're not the acceptor, automatically you're the endorser. When the person deemed an endorser, a person signing his name on the back of the instrument, nothing else appearing, a general endorser, and liable as such. Being an endorser is chargeable only after the presentment and the notice of those dishonor. Parole evidence inadmissible. Now, the law absolutely fixes the status of the endorser. It does not merely raise a presumption that it is such. So, one who signs an endorser cannot show by parole evidence his intention to be bound in some other capacity. For example, that he is signed merely as an agent for the purpose only of identifying the person of the instrument. The law requires, no, he cannot make an excuse that I am only the agent, though you are already deemed the endorser. The law requires that he indicates by appropriate words his intention to be bound in some other capacity of the instrument itself. The reason for the rule, the rule is founded upon a commercial necessity. The full and free circulation of negotiable papers which take the place of money is a greater is a matter of great importance. To require each assignee before accepting the, accepting them therein, them to inquire into and investigate every circumstance bearing upon the original issuance and to take cognizance of all the equities between the original parties would utterly destroy their commercial value. So if we will just allow them to 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 make a clear um, stipulation of whatever uh, part or role that they will play on the instrument, then it will defeat the importance of of the negotiable instrument. No? So it has to be something implied already and understood as something of regularity in every transaction. So when a person liable as a guarantor of surety, when is a person liable as guarantor or surety? So a while ago, we we already talked about when do you de- when you when do you consider a person deemed endorser, okay? So how about when a person liable as guarantor or surety? 
liability as guarantor. Accordingly, a person who writes in addition to his signature in the back of the instrument, a hereby guarantee payment of this instrument or payment guaranteed or their equivalent indicates his attention, intention to be bound as guarantor. In which case, he is not discharged from liability merely because of the lack of due presentment or due notice of dishonor. He waives the need for presentment, protest, or notice of dishonor. Unlike, however, an endorser, a guarantor, is liable only subsidiarily after the assets of the principal debtor has been exhausted. Okay, so unlike the endorser, the a guarantor is liable only subsidiarily after the assets of the principal debtor has been exhausted. So if you're a guarantor, then uh, the principal is still the first one who will be uh, asked to pay. No? So the principal is still the one. If you are subsidiarily liable, it means that after they have exhausted all means to utilize all the resources from the principal, then they can go to you. No? So just praying that they won't go to you anymore. Liability assurity. Also, a person who writes his name on the back of the instrument followed with the words assurity. No, show, shows by added words his intention to be bound, bound assurity rather than an endorser. Assurity, he is primarily and absolutely liable with the principal debtor without benefit of exhaustion of the properties of the latter. So if you are, so we can see here the difference between a guarantor or a surety. The surety is subsidiarily liable. Well, on the other hand, the debtor, ano, the surety is principally liable and you are considered now the principal debtor uh, without all the necessity of presentment or notice of dishonor. Signature made by identification only. A party is liable only as guarantor and not as an endorser if his endorsement is made for identification only. Okay? So, engagement of guarantor. Under the Uniform Commercial Code, a guarantor may design an instrument either payment guaranteed or collection guaranteed. So, when a guarantor signs an instrument payment guaranteed in equivalent words, the signer engages that if the instrument is not paid, when due, he will pay it according to its tenor even if the party entitled to payment has not attempted to collect or offer the product from the party liable for it. On the other hand, when he signs collection guaranteed or equivalent words, the signer engages that if the instrument is not paid, when due, he will pay it according to its tenor but only after the party entitled to the payment has tried to collect from the party liable for it. No, had tried to collect from the party liable for it and has been unable to do so and so it is apparent that it is useless to proceed against him no? so basically collection guaranteed is for a guarantor Okay, and then when a guarantor signs an instrument payment guaranteed equivalent to the word a signer engages that if the instrument is not paid when due, he will pay it according to its tenor even if the party entitled to pay has not attempted to collect. No? So, engagement of the guarantor under the Uniform Commercial Code. A guarantor may sign an instrument, either payment guaranteed or collection guaranteed. So, there are two options here. Liability of agent of bank for collection. As a mere agent for collection, a bank is not bound to know the genuineness of prior endorsement. So, he is not required to look for the genuineness of the prior endorsements. 
an intermediate uh, one an intermediate or collecting bank which accepts a check for deposit and forwards it to the drawing bank for payment stamp all prior endorsements guaranteed does not endorse the check as a general endorser but merely as an agent bank guaranteeing only prior endorsements not the genuineness of the check the check itself so it is not liable to the drawing bank which paid the check in case the signature of the drawer was forged now again an intermediate or collecting bank which accepts a check so ang bangko siya nagdawat sa checky for deposit and forwards it to the drawing bank no for payment and stamp all prior endorsements guaranteed does not endorse the check as a general endorser but merely as an agent bank so guaranteeing only prior prior endorsements and not the genuineness of the check itself so basically he is only guaranteeing the, the prior endorsements but not the check itself so that it is not liable to the drawing bank which paid the check in case the endorsement of the drawer was forged no so a bank is stopped however from raising the negotiability of the checks okay so a bank is stopped from raising the negotiability of the checks it accepts for deposit on the back of which it stamp it guarantee of all prior endorsement and of lack of endorsement and subsequently presented those checks for clearing with another bank which on the strength of the guarantee cleared the checks and create credited the account you know, of the first bank okay so a bank is stopped however from raising the negotiability of the check so you cannot question the negotiability of the check it accepts for deposit on the back which it stamp as guaranteed of so if you if you write there guaranteed guarantee of all prior endorsements and of lack of endorsement the subsequent presented those checks for clearing with another bank which on the strength of the guarantee cleared the checks and credited the account of the first bank okay so take note of that let's proceed to section 64 section 64 the liability of irregular endorser when a person not otherwise a party to an instrument places there on his signature no he is not a party with the instrument then he places his signature in the blank before delivery he is liable as endorser in accordance with the following rules number one if the instrument is payable to the order of the third person he is liable to the payee and to all subsequent parties again if the instrument is payable to order of a third person he is liable to the payee and to all the subsequent parties if the instrument is payable to order of the maker or drawer or is payable to bearer he is liable to all parties subsequent to the maker or drawer then if he signs for accommodation of the payee he is liable to all parties subsequent to the payee okay so again ha, uh, section 64 liability of irregular endorser when a person not otherwise a party of to an instrument places their on his signature in the blank in the blank for before delivery he is liable as endorser so young role is now an endorser in accordance with the following rules now if the instrument is payable to order of a third person he is liable to the payee and to all the subsequent parties so kinsay musunod all the subsequent one he is liable in as endorser number two if the instrument is payable to order of the maker or drawer or is payable to bearer or holding the check that's payable to here to him he is liable to all parties subsequent to the maker 
or drawer. So, that includes the maker or drawer and so on and so forth. Okay? So, that's the liability now. So, if he signs for the accommodation of the payee, he is liable to all parties subsequent to the payee. Okay? So, that's C. Irregular or anomalous endorsement explained. The term usually denotes an endorsement for some purpose other than to transfer the instrument or an endorsement by a stranger to the instrument or by one not in the actual or apparent chain of title. Especially an endorsement made prior to the delivery of the instrument to the payee. The purpose of the endorsement not for transfer is usually to add the signer's credit to the instrument. Okay, again. The, the irregular or anomalous endorsement explained. Usually, the term usually denotes an endorsement for some purpose other than to transfer the instrument or an endorsement by a stranger to the instrument or by one not in the actual or apparent chain of title, especially an endorsement made prior to the delivery of the instrument to the payee. The purpose of the endorsement not for transfer is usually to add the signer's credit to the instrument. When a person, an irregular or anomalous endorser, Section 64 deals with the liability of an irregular endorser to the payee and subsequent parties. The rights and liabilities of several irregular endorsers as among themselves are governed by Section 68. Section 64 has no application to a case where the signature was placed on the instrument after delivery to the payee. Based on this section, irregular or anomalous endorser is a person who not otherwise a party of the instrument places their own signature in blank before delivery. The phrase, not otherwise a party to an instrument, means that the irregular endorser is not a maker, drawer, acceptor, or regular endorser thereon. The irregular or anomalous endorser endorses the instrument in an unusual singular or singular or peculiar manner. His name appears where he, we would naturally expect another name. Thus, if an instrument is made payable to another, P.P.'s name should appear at the back of the instrument as a first endorser, but instead we find the name of X. In such case, X is an irregular or anomalous endorser. Usually, an, ir- an irregular or anomalous endorser is an accommodation endorser. He is not necessarily so where he participates in the consideration for the instrument. Rules as to the liability of irregular or anomalous endorser. Section 64 sets out rules for three classes of cases regarding liability of irregular or anomalous endorser. For example, an instrument payable to order of a third person. If M makes a note payable to P no, or order to P, however, does not have faith in the financial capacity of M, Okay, is willing to take note only of X financial ability is back of it. So M secures X endorsement in the blank before the note is delivered to P. Negotiates the note to A for some obligation. When A takes uh, the instrument, X's name appears as the first endorser followed by P's name. Is X liable to P? No, P and A a subsequent party but not to M. Okay. Instrument uh, payable. X is liable to P. X is liable to P. Payee and A, no, a subsequent party, but not to M, okay? Because uh, according to the rule, it is too subsequent, no. So for the case that was stated a while ago, X is liable to P, and uh, the Payee and A, okay? So instrument payable to the order of maker, drawer, or to the bearer. Suppose the note is payable, so the note is payable to order to M which means that the maker and the payee are of the same person. No? Maker 
pay is the same. M cannot circulate the instrument without excess endorsement thereon. So X then signs his name and M endorses and delivers this the instrument to A. X is liable to A. Okay? A party subsequent to M, the maker and to subsequent parties but not to M. But M is liable to X. The liability of M is that of the first endorser while X of a second endorser. If the note were payable to bearer, X would also be liable to all parties subsequent to M. Okay? So, this is an example of the number 2. No? So, wherein, if the instrument is payable to the order of the maker or drawer, or is payable to bearer, he is liable to all parties subsequent to the maker or drawer. Okay? Irregular uh, endorser signing for accommodation of pay. Suppose in the first illustration, P wants discount note with A, but the bank is not willing to rely on the financial ability of M and P alone. Then, P then secures X to accommodate him, X without receiving any valuable consideration, therefore, but only for the purpose of lending his name, credit to P, which is an accommodation party, uh, endorses the note in blank. So, X, in this case, is liable to all parties subsequent to P, the pay. Uh, so, in effect, the first endorser, X, is the second endorser. Okay. So, warranties of irregular endorser. It must be noted that Section 64 provides only for parties to whom an irregular endorser is liable. His warranties are the same as those of a general endorser under Section 66 in as much as his endorsement is in blank, which in itself is an endorsement with qualification. Okay, So, let's look at Section 65. We are now on Section 65. Okay. Okay, and we will end on section 68 no so we are we are more three articles to go okay so section 65 in section 65 a warranty were in a negotiation by delivery and so forth every person negotiating an instrument by delivery or by a qualified endorsement warrants no a warranty Warranty were, were negotiation by delivery and so forth. Every person negotiating an instrument by delivery or by qualified endorsement warrants that the instrument is genuine in all respects and what it purports to be, that it has good title to it and that all prior parties had capacity to contract and that he has knowledge of any fact which would impair the validity of the instrument or render it valueless. But when the negotiation is by delivery only, the warranty extends in favor of no holder other than the immediate transferee. So the provisions of subdivision C in this section do not apply to persons negotiating public corporations securities other than the bills and notes. Okay. So again, when we look at the section 65, guarantee were negotiation by delivery and so forth. Every person, no, every person negotiating an instrument by delivery or by qualified endorsement warrants that the instrument is genuine. So the warranty here is that the instrument is genuine in all respects what it purports to be. And B, it has good title to it and that all the prior parties had capacity to contract and that he has no knowledge of any fact that would impair the validity of the instrument or render it valueless. But when the negotiation is by delivery only, the warranty extends in favor of no holder other than the immediate transferee. Okay, the provisions of subdivision C of this section do not apply to persons negotiating public or or corporation securities other than bills and notes. 
negotiation by delivery qualified endorsement. Every endorser makes certain warranties or guarantees about the instrument, the uh, instrument that is negotiating. Now, this warranty liability is unconditional. It is not conditioned upon proper presentment and dishonor of instrument given the notice of the dishonor. Negotiation by delivery under Section 65 means that the endorsement is not necessarily because the instrument is payable to bearer. The words by delivery, therefore, refer to a holder who negoti- negotiates the instrument in the same condition in which he receives it, uh, making no endorsement at all. So, kaning delivery di ay, no, by delivery, it means it is something uh, payable by bearer. No, uh, Words Okay, it means that the endorsement is necessary because the instrument is payable to bearer. No, so this is the meaning of that. It's automatically payable to bearer. Therefore, refer to the holder who negotiates the instrument in the same condition in which he receives it, making no endorsement at all. So there's no endorsement. So a blank endorser of the instrument <clears throat> does not negotiate it by delivery within this section. So a qualified endorsement is made by adding to the endorser's signature without recourse or any words of similar import. Warranty liability of one negotiating by delivery of qualified endorser. The liability of a person negotiating a bearer instrument by mere delivery is the same as the person who negotiates by qualified endorsement, but do not assume to pay the instrument in the event of its dishonor unless the dishonor is based on any four implied warranties enumerated in Section 65. They are in fact merely assigning a credit. Their liabilities di- differ, however, with respect to the person in whose favor the warranty extends. While the liability of the one who negotiates by mere delivery extends in favor only of his immediate transfer, the qualified endorser is liable to all subsequent holders who make title through his endorsement for a breach of any of his warranties. So, example, M makes a promissory note payable to bearer. No, payable to bearer. So, anyone who will bear it and delivers the same uh, and B, no, uh, the bearer delivers the same to P, who negotiates it to A, either by delivery or by qualified endorsement. If the note is dishonored in the hands of A due to the insolvency of M, no, A cannot recover from P. M, so A, A cannot recover from P because, uh, because P does not warrant M's insolvency. Okay. However, P is liable if the instrument is forged for he warrants that the instrument is genuine. Or if P, but the liability of P here is that he warrants that the instrument is genuine. So, he is liable to A. If P had stolen the note from, from M, for he warrants that he has a good title to it, M is a minor for he warrants that all prior parties had the capacity to contract. So if P knew that the instrument was invalid for want or failure of consideration or that M was insolvent but concealed the fact from A, he warrants that he has no knowledge of such fact and which would impair the validity of the instrument or render it useless. Suppose uh, the note is negotiated by P to A and A to B, all by delivery. Is P, is P liable to B? Okay, suppose the note is negotiated by P to A and A to B. So B ang last. All by delivery. No, by delivery ni Shetanen. Is P liable to B? Is P liable to B? Okay, for violation or any four warranties? No. Because the warranties of P extend only to his A. His immediate transferee. 
no so the warranty of P only extend to what is immediate so kung by delivery gani siya katulad na sa tungod nimo mura to ang imuhang makuan no the, sub, the subsequent holder okay his immediate transfer A of course A is of course liable to B his immediate transfer so R issued R issued 10 checks so sus na po ka checks na yang issue okay uh, two of three cross checks are bearer checks and one and cross bearer check payable to P incorporated X sales agent of P incorporated endorse all the checks of A corp which deposited the same in its current account with bank of B uh, after temporarily crediting the amount thereof to A's corp account the bank of PI debited the amount against the account of A corp upon being informed by P incorporated that the endorsement of X were forgeries under Section 65, the warranty of R with respect to the bearer of checks extends only to the bank of BI. No? Okay. So, the immediate. Uh, we call it the, in, the immediate transfer. Liability of collecting or issuing bank. The warranty that the instrument is genuine, genuine and it all respects what it purports, purports to cover, cover all the defects of the instrument affecting the validity thereof, including a forged endorsement. Thus, the last, the last endorser will be liable for the amount indicated in the negotiable instrument even if a previous endorsement was forged. It has been held in a line of cases that a collecting bank which endorses a check bearing a forged endorsement and presents it to the drawee bank guarantees all prior endorsements including the forged endorsement itself and ultimately should be held liable therefore. The object uh, the above rule is subject to exceptions. One such exception is when the issuance of the check itself was attended with negligence. Thus, while the collecting bank is generally held liable, the issuing bank is just as liable more than the collecting bank when the subject check was negligently. So, the exception here is negligence. So, if there is negligence by the collecting bank, then of course, no, they can also be liable. Stranger, the collect instruction of the telephone to suppose depositor without written authorization. When both banks were negligent, the Supreme Court allocated the loss between them, considering their comparative or relative negligence and demands of substantial justice. In one case, the proportionate sharing was 50-50% and another drawing bank was held liable for 60% and for collecting bank was 40%. Okay, so, a liability of collecting and issuing. The warranty that the instrument is joined in all its risks and purports to be cover all defects of the instrument affecting the validity thereof, including a forged endorsement. Thus, the last endorser, no, the last endorser, will be liable for the amount indicated in the negotiable issue even if a previous endorsement was forged. It has been held in the line of cases that a collecting bank which endorses a check bearing a forged endorsement and presents it to the drawee bank. So the drawee bank here guarantees all prior endorsement including the forged instrument itself ultimately should be held liable therefore. Okay. But the collecting bank is also generally liable if there are breaches, no, or if there are is if there is negligence on their part. Sales of public corporate securities. Brokers and other persons negotiating public or corporation securities other than bills and notes do not warrant the capacity of prior parties. Example: Under a legislative authority, the City of Manila issued bonds. X, uh, X bank buys some of these bonds and sells some to P an investor the supreme court subsequently decided that the law authorizing the issue of bonds and the bonds on some ground or another are void 
In this case, X bank is not liable to T for breach if implied warranty. X is not implied the warrant the city of Manila had the capacity to issue bonds in question. Okay, again, brokers and other persons negotiating public or corporation securities and other bills and notes do not warrant the capacity of prior parties. Okay, so, kaning mga public or corporate securities, they do not warrant the capacity of prior parties. Okay, Section 66, Liability of General Endorser. Every endorser who endorses without qualification warrants to all subsequent holders in due course. The matter and things mentioned in subdivisions of A, B, and C and the next preceding section that the instrument is the time in this endorsement valid and subsisting. In addition, he engages that on due presentment. It shall be accepted or paid or both as the case may be according to the tenor and that if be dishonored and the necessary proceedings or on dishonor be duly taken, we will pay the amount thereof to the holder or to the subsequent endorser who may be compelled to pay it. Okay, again, section 66, liability of general endorser. Every endorser who endorses without qualification warrants to all subsequent holders in due course the matters and things mentioned in subdivision A, B, and C in the next preceding section and that the instruments is at the time in his endorsement valid and subsisting. And in addition, he engages that on due presentment it shall be accepted or paid or both as the case may be according to its tenor and that it and if the it be dishonored and the necessary proceedings of dishonor be duly taken, he will pay the amount thereof to the holder or to any subsequent endorser who may be compelled to pay it. Warranty liability of general or unqualified endorser. The, the drawer and general endorser guarantee payment of the instrument provided certain steps are taken to charge them with liability. First is similarity of what the qualified endorser and the person negotiating by delivery. Section 66 incorporates subsections A, B, C of Section 65. Insofar as the three warranties in Section 65 are concerned, the liability of the general endorser is similar to the liability of the qualified endorser and a person negotiating by delivery. It must be emphasized that law is not applicable to non-negotiable instruments like treasury warranties. He cannot interpose the defense that signatures prior to him were, are forged. Warranty that instrument valid and subsisting as regards to the fourth warranty, however, the similarity ends. While the unqualified endorser guarantees that the instrument is valid and subsisting whether or not he has no knowledge of the fact, the qualified endorser warrants merely that he has no knowledge of any fact would invalidate the instrument or render it useless. If the instrument endorsed turns out to be invalid, the unqualified endorser is liable before the fourth warranty, but the qualified endorser is not liable unless he was aware of the cause of the invalidity. The subsequent party which caused a defect in the instrument cannot have any recourse against any of the prior endorsers in good faith. Thus, a bank which caused the dishonor of a check upon presentment to the drawing bank through qualified endorsement of his employee where full payment of the drawing would have been take place were it not for the irregular endorsement cannot hold prior endorsers liable in the instrument for its dishonor. Number 3. Warranty that the instrument will be honored. The unqualified endorser also warrants that the instrument will be honored. So he is liable in case the instrument will not be paid because of the insolvency of any prior party. But a qualified endorser is not liable unless he has the knowledge of such insolvency. When a person makes an unqualified endorsement of the instrument, the law specifies and defines his liability and parole testimony, not 
admissible to explain or defeat such liability. After an instrument is dishonored for non-payment, endorsers cease to be merely secondarily liable. They become principal debtors whose liability become identical to that of original obligor. The holder need not even proceed against the maker or drawer before suing the endorsers. The maker or drawer is not an indispensable party in action against the endorsers. Warranty that prior endorsements are genuine. By stamping the check accepted it by deposit guarantees that guarantees that all prior endorsements and lack of endorsements guaranteed a collecting bank makes the assurance that it had a certain genuineness of all prior endorsements. By such deliberate positive act, it has for all legal intents and purposes treated the check as negotiable instrument accordingly assumed the warranty of the endorser. In case the endorsement is forged of an authorized, the bank is paying the check becomes liable to the payee for value thereof. Okay, so in case the endorsement is a forged or unauthorized, the bank in paying the check becomes liable to the payee. Warranty available only to a holder in due course. The, wa- the warranties of general endorse- endorser as provided in section 66 are based upon a transfer of title and are available only to a holder in due course. They do not attach the endorsement for deposit and collection made by the payee holder or bill of check in case of erroneous payment by the drawway bank. The collecting bank has no legal right to debit the amount of the payee for any amount it refunded to the drawway bank. Uh, under Section 36, a restrictive endorsement does not in any way transfer the title of the instrument to the collecting bank. The collecting bank cannot invoke the warranty of the payee depositor who endorsed the instrument for collection. Okay, and warranty of a collecting bank as endorser. Okay. collecting bank where the check is deposited and which endorses the check upon presentment with the drawing bank is an endorser and assumes the warranty of an endorser under section 61. In check transactions, the collecting bank or the last endorser generally suffers the loss because it was the duty to ascertain the genuineness of all prior endorsements considering that the act of presenting the check for presentment of the drawing is an assertion that the party making the presentment has done its duty to ascertain the genuineness of the endorsement when the bank stamps a check with the phrase all prior endorsements or lack of endorsement guaranteed if it it treats the check for all intents and purposes as negotiable instrument accordingly assumes the warranty of an endorser without such warranty the drawee would not make payment on the check as endorser he cannot deny liability for damages in the case the warranty has proven to be false and inaccurate right of the holder not in due course to enforce warranty of general endorser although section 66 states that the warranties of unqualified endorser run to all subsequent holders in due course, it should not be construed literally in a sense that holders not in due course cannot enforce warranties. Warranties in Section 65 run to any person to whom the instrument has been negotiated and there is no reason why the same result should be obtained under Section 66 to hold otherwise the transfer of a qualified endorser would have greater rights to the transfer of general endorser. Conditions precedent to make endorser liable. The unqualified endorser, in addition to his warranties, engages to pay the instrument 
if it is dishonored. In order to enforce his liability in, in, in this respect, the following conditions must be complied with. Number one, due presentment for payment or acceptance as the case may be, must be made. If the instrument is dishonored by non-presentment or non-acceptance, the necessary proceedings on dishonor be duly taken. These conditions unless waived must be met in order that the secondary party may be held liable for his promissory liability as distinguished by his warranty liability. The liability of the unqualified endorser is similar to that of the drawer. The endorsement is presumed unqualified. To be qualified, it must contain specific words like qualifying liability.